Well, hey everybody, it's time again for stories from Bittersweet Farm. And hey, I'm glad you joined us for stories from Bittersweet Farm today, because today is a special day when what we're doing is we're reading uh, stories from a chapter at a time from for a few days, stories from a season of life on a family farm. And today's a story from Bittersweet Farm is chapter 13, and it's called Ugly Weeds. Most of my memories from the farm in Licking County are pleasant, bordering on romantic. But no matter how much time passes, there's one memory that is impossible to romanticize. It is the memory of a chore I'm still convinced my grandfather thought up just to burn off my excess energy and keep me out of hair, out of his hair. Before they invented video games, parents had to be more creative. On a summer afternoon when I needed something to keep myself occupied, I didn't have a room full of uh, electronic gizmos. Back then, I could never have conceived of the internet, Facebook, iPods, VCRs, DVDs, or cable TV. Since I wrote this, some of those things have completely passed out of existence. Grandpa was born before radios, cars, or manned air flight, moon landings, or space travel, let alone cyberspace. They were just getting over the novelty of radio when TV swept America, and for a long time we didn't have a TV. And when we did, it was a small black and white set for years. My grandfather would sometimes give me a weed whip, tell me to walk along the road and cut down what he called Canadian thistles. This was not only before video games, it was before they ever invented powered weed eaters. The tool was similar to a golf club, and it was not gas or electric powered. It was boy powered, hot, sweating, in the direct August afternoon sun boy powered. In the oppressive heat, I struggled against fears of infected blisters, heat stroke, dehydration, and death. Imagine my grandfather's great guilt-induced grief at my funeral. My younger brother, Kevin, would have the room all to himself. He'd probably sell my bike, starve my dog, drown my white mice, and take over the top bunk. Kevin was really a great kid, but he has a way of playing tricks on your mind, you know? Chopping down Canada thistles was only temporarily effective because if you didn't pull them out by the roots, runners, they would grow again. Grandpa wanted to cut them down before they could blossom into purple flower and go to seed. The seeds would blow around the farm and the pest would multiply. He also knew it was a good idea to do something to channel my boundless energy into something at least mildly productive. If you do a little research, you'll see that Canada thistles are terrible scourge to North American grain farmers. They grow fast, they grow tall, and they quickly reach over five feet in height. In the United States and Canadian governments have spent millions of dollars without success to try to find a way to eradicate this aggressive weed. Butterflies and birds love it, but it's very costly to farmers, so they have good reason to hate it. You can't let weeds like that take over the farm any more than you can let restless boys wander around without productive things to do, or you are asking for trouble. But that's another story. Actually, it's a series of harrowing tales I promise to tell another day. Have you seen the Life is Good line of clothing? This little Life is Good mascot, Jake, wears a perpetual smile and poses by the crackling fire or paddles a kayak or rides his bike or climbs mountains or runs or a shoe, he has shoes, television, and just plain loves life. 
Jake's life is good. I love the idea, even if it's only true in a qualified way. I have a few Life is Good shirts and even a Life is Good sticker on my Jeep and a Life is Good cap, but the slogan is only really true in the qualified way. Life is good as is all that God has created, but something is terribly wrong. Something is badly broken. Optimism ends where the curse begins. The whole sad story is in Genesis. Then Adam to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I command you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake and toil. You shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Genesis three seventeen through 19, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and you've hid, eaten from the tree of which you, I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground. As beautiful as the earth is, it's not all flowers and bird songs. Every day isn't sunny and delightful. Little furry creatures commonly grow up and they eat each other. According to the most reliable sources, the eighth chapter of Romans, the earth is groaning under a curse and it's been groaning since the Garden of Eden when sin first crashed the party. That really does explain a lot because the earth is full of the glory of the Lord, but a lot of really bad things happen on God's good earth every day. God's creation is beautiful beyond belief and you and I are part of God's creation. We are the pinnacle of God's creation, but because of sin, Creation has fallen and groaning, and we all groan along with it now, don't we? The groan for we groan for a time when the curse will be reversed, for a time when the earth will be redeemed, renewed, reborn, restored, delivered from the bondage of corruption. We groan with it because we are a part of creation and we suffer the effects of the fall and the curse. Paul wrote, We groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. The Spirit also groans, making intercession for us. I am a glass-half-full kind of guy. Sometimes people will question the appropriateness of my optimism. And they have good cause to do so. The cause is the curse on creation. Everything isn't rosy. Something really is desperately wrong. It's not always a balmy summer, summer evening. The stars are not always visible high in the dome of heaven. People hurt people. Some suffer innocently. Children are abused and neglected. Poor are oppressed. Injustice and depravity abound. The evening breeze does not always bear the fragrance of living things. Sometimes we are overcome with toxic fumes of dying things. As long as we're in this sin-cursed world, there will be weeds to whack. Thorns and roses will grow together. The little one In a million, snowflakes will sometimes gather in angry anarchy and wipe out the idyllic alpine village in a violent avalanche. But it will not always be that way. There will be a regeneration one day, a time of restoration to life. Jesus will reign there forever. The new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven one day, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, 1-3, Peter said it this way, According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 2 Peter 3, 
13. Creation is awesome, and you are a part of that. But creation has fallen, and you are a part of that too. One day, creation will be redeemed, and you can be a part of that by the grace of God and the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ. One day, in the new earth, I'm going back to revisit the hill farm in Licking County and see what God's done with a little spot on earth that was so dear to me as a boy, my heartland. I'll smell the new-mown hay, perhaps, on the moist evening air and lie at night and gaze out into God's heaven and eat again of the good produce of the earth. But mercifully, there will be no weeds to whack. That's the story from out of the bittersweet farm today, where every day is a beautiful day. And the little light in the kitchen is always on. Mm-hmm.